Eating meat is racist. Riding a Harley Davidson is racist. Driving a domestic car is racist. The weather is racist. Just when you thought things can't get any more bizarre, liberty is racist. When does this trend burn out and fade into the distance? Where will we be when that happens? And to keep a cool head, you need a strong dose of the truth. This is TNN, the Truth News Network, and your professor of fact is Dan Newman. Just because you think something is okay doesn't mean it's okay. And the same thing's true for people on the other side of the political aisle. They just don't seem to agree with that. Good morning, all of you. Thank you for being here on Friday. It's a great day. A lot of good things going on. A lot of eyes being open to some things. We're going to get into things like the first day of The impeachment, it is not an impeachment process. It is analyzing the what's and what's not in evidence that might justify a full impeachment of now President Joe Biden. And it became very obvious yesterday in the hearing. I listened as I was out of the office, away from the studio. I listened on satellite radio to a good portion of the early parts of that inquiry that got launched yesterday in the House of Representatives. And I can tell you, Democrats are doing everything in their power not to provide any information that negates any of the allegations against this president's involvement in bribery, but trying to cover for him. And how are they trying to cover? You can tell when they're on defense and nothing but defense, they are worried, and let it suffice to say this, there are many, many, many more pieces of evidence that are laying out there that are beginning to show up a little bit every day that pretty much say Joe Biden is in deep trouble. It's sad that this kind of stuff happens in our government, but it does, and there's a way to undo it, and that's what we're doing watching our experts on Capitol Hill, watching half of them proving things, and the other half saying, nah, 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 boo-boo, you don't have any evidence. Oh, well, we'll get into all of that.
there are some of you that were uh, sitting at the table being calm, maybe reading the newspaper to start your day, and you spit some cereals, some Cheerios out of your mouth when you heard that song being played. Let me tell you a quick story. By the way, if you just joined us, we got a big show today. We've got lots and lots of things we're going to dig into. Some news on our economy came out just minutes ago, and it ain't good That's just kind of a a little bitty drop in the bucket of what we need to talk about today. Let me tell you a little bit about that song I just played. That's Aerosmith, Sweet Emotion. Many people forget the very first real rap song that made the charts. It included Run DMC and Aerosmith. You remember that? Walk This Way? Golly, that's a long time ago. In the Middle 80s, 1980s, I did a morning show at KVKI Radio, a big FM, 100,000-watt FM radio station in northwest Louisiana. And the format was adult contemporary music, kind of like top 40 music from the 60s and the 70s, but, you know, a little more up-to-date stuff. And I always wanted to play Aerosmith. And I know it from 6 o'clock in the morning, 6 to 10 is when we were on the air with the morning show. That's kind of early. But folks, people like me back then, now put it in perspective, I turned, let's see, I turned 30 years old in 1983. So I was a young chicken at the time. I'm And I'm a musician. I'm a keyboard guy. I love to play. I love smooth jazz If you're a regular here, you know that's my favorite. Um, But every once in a while, I like to just kick it. And that song you just heard to open the show, Sweet Emotion, they kick it. And I'm sorry. No, I'm going to take that back. I'm not sorry if that song offended anybody. (laughs) It's my show. I don't get to play much music on the show. I typically play one at the top of the show to get started while everybody's logging in and getting their cup of coffee before they sit down to dig into TNN Live. And then one at the end of it. But uh, anyway, I just wanted you to know, I couldn't play that song on the morning show at KVKI. And every once in a while, somebody later in the day would get sick or have something they couldn't do, and I'd volunteer to fill in. And later in the day, you could play songs like that. It was a top 40 version. It was edited down. That big, long guitar solo at the end of the song isn't in the uh, the commercial version of it, so I got to play that anyway. I bet you really wondered about that, about me. Very few people remember. I was in radio in my first life. I even at one time owned KVKI Radio here in Shreveport, Louisiana. But that is a different life a long time ago. A long time ago. Things have changed, but fortunately some things haven't changed. I was married then. Marianne and I got married in 1975. We later that year had our first daughter had another daughter 18 months later, and a couple of years after that, Caleb, who, by the way, he is an executive chef in Fort Worth. He and his wife are coming in, and we have a big family ball, whatever you want to call it, tomorrow because Nani and Poppy, Poppy is me, that's what all the grandchildren call me, and Nani is what they call Marianne. We are both next year 
going to be great-grandparents. That's right. One of our grandsons and his bride are going to have a baby, and we're doing the gender reveal tomorrow. I've never been to a gender reveal. I've seen some really crazy ones on YouTube and some television funny shows out there. Some of them are just hilarious. I just want this to go off without a hitch. I barely know his wife's family at all. I don't want them to get embarrassed. We're hosting it. I don't want them to get embarrassed. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But I'm poppy. When you get old, people expect you to say stupid things and do crazy stuff. So I'm just going to make them feel right at home. There's no telling what I'm going to do. We're going to have good music. I know that. Caleb, he's an executive chef over there, and he's cooking for this whole event. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope you've got a big weekend plan. We've got a high school football game tonight, which brings up a reminder. I was asked to tell you last week, and I forgot God, family, and football is a story about Evangel Christian Academy's football program here in Shreveport, Louisiana. Amazon came in and did a whole season of shows that they released all at one time about a month ago. And if you've got Amazon Prime, you can get it there. Amazon now has a free streaming app called Freevee, F-R-E-E-V-E. You can download the app for free. You can just pick up and search for God Family Football. It'll pop right up. And what I did was I just binge watched. I downloaded all the episodes. There are eight of them. I just binge watched them all over one weekend. It is a powerful show in many, many ways. Very few people in this part of the country don't know that Evangel. Christian Academy has a famous, nationally ranked, all-the-time football program. 14 state championships. But it's not about football. Well, wait a minute. It's a football show. It's a football team. Yeah, it's about life and living and all the ups and downs that go along with it. When you have children and grandchildren in school and all of the events and things that happen, and where God fits into all of that. You need to watch it. God, family, football. Once again, thank you for joining us today, any day. I don't tell people often enough that if you want to weigh in on the show live at any time, you can call. We'll put you right on the air with me. And the call is toll-free from wherever you are, even offshore if you're in another country. 1-866-37-TRUTH. That's 1-866-378-7884. You want to offend me? If you want to call me out on something, you want to object to it, this is not broadcast radio, so if a curse word slips out, that's Okay. If it's a too bad a curse word, <laughs> you may get cut off. But I'm not that worried about getting in trouble because we own this show. We don't answer to the FCC, so there you go. Told you there was some ugly news out there affecting our economy. Higher gas prices have forced all of us Americans to spend more in August. 
and that pushed up the Federal Reserve's main measure of inflation, providing more evidence that the path to lower inflation isn't going to be a smooth landing. Here's the breakdown. The Personal Consumption Price Index, which the Fed uses in its official inflation target of 2%, and the publicly released projections of policymakers, that register went up almost half a percent, 0.4%. That's twice the pace of last month. And yes, the increase was in line with economist expectations. But don't you dare mention the R word. Oh, no, we don't even say the word recession. Nobody's admitted. Nobody's even talked about it. It's like, if you don't talk about it, it doesn't exist. I've got my hand raised in the air. I want to make a comment. Dan, what do you want to say? We are in a recession. We have been in a recession. Everything except the cost of everything may go down, may be a little different, but that's not happening. It keeps going up. Higher energy costs drove the inflation numbers up in August. Core prices Now, I don't even know why they give us this core price index because it takes out the cost of food and the cost of energy. I don't know why the heck they even want to consider taking that out because it's part of what we spend for. That number rose by 0.1% in August. Compared with a year ago, core prices are up by 4%. 4%. A month earlier, core prices had jumped 0.2% from the prior month, 4.3% from a year before. The year-over-year number was revised up slightly from the original estimate of 4.2%. Now, who does all this projections and the economical numbers stuff? Well, it comes from the Biden administration. And every month when we get these numbers, have you noticed when we get our employment, unemployment numbers, when we get our inflation numbers, our core price index numbers, what we just told you in numbers, just like last month, they're always revised upward. In other words, they didn't tell us the truth last month. And they didn't tell us the truth the month before because every month they raise them up. It's worse than the numbers say. That's what I'm getting to. So just hang on. Are we going to get through this? I don't want to preach bloom and doom. But let me say this. I don't think we're going to get out of this financial boondoggle in this administration, in this presidency. I don't see it happening. Nobody can wave a magic wand and make it go away. If he could, Joe Biden would try to do it. In fact, somebody handed Joe a magic wand and told him it was magic. And what it is, it's an inflation wand. And he waves it every morning thinking it's going to make everything get better, but it makes inflation go up. Sad news from California today. Senator Dianne Feinstein passed away, 90 years old. She's really been struggling with her health for some time, more than a year. And she died early this morning. Longtime senator, 
She had suffered from pretty serious, extensive health issues for over a year. That led many to wonder about her fitness for office. Her cause of death was unclear. So far, they haven't reported it. She was in the Senate on Wednesday, and she cast a vote at 11.40 in the morning. So she stuck it out as long as she could do it. She was in the U.S. Senate. Think what you will about her. She was a lefty, no question about it. I mean, she's from California. Most everybody is, and especially those in politics. But she was very, very solid. And she was honest about her feelings and her thoughts on politics. Even though we differ with other people, it doesn't necessarily have to be that they're evil, that they're wrong and you're right and we're not evil. It doesn't have to be that way. When you're an honest adult in America, this is one thing we worked hard to teach our children. You don't have to expect everybody to agree with your opinions on anything. But what we are living in right now is a social structure where if somebody has a differing opinion than yours on anything, that means they're evil. And we don't even think about them. We don't give them any consideration. They shouldn't even be breathing the same air as we do. There's no need to go there. But my goodness, the social engineers of this society led chiefly by people like the owners of YouTube, Google, Facebook, Twitter. If somebody disagrees with you, they're evil, so you just put an X on them and wipe them off the face of the earth as far as you're concerned. That's a horrible way to live because what it does, it directly impacts your physical health. Hatred, anger, are two of the worst things for health. So just stay away from it. I've always been a confrontational person. Anybody that knows me personally knows that. I like a challenge. I like when I feel one way and somebody feels another way, I like to get into a back and forth. I used to go for the juggler vein, but I learned about 30 years ago that seldom, seldom ends with positive results. So what I do, if I ever get to a point in a conversation about something which the two of us disagree, when I get to the point I can see there's no changing of the other person's mind, I'll just say this. I'll look at them, stick my hand out, shake their hand and say, look, hey, we're just going to agree to disagree on this. And that's it. We don't have to diminish or demean anybody that feels different from us. I mean, after all, it's their opinion. It's our opinion. And if we know factually that ours is right and they won't accept that, there's nothing you can do about it. Just truck on down the road in your lane and don't worry about them at all. They'll get it handled sooner or later or they won't get it handled sooner or later. But that's not your responsibility. After you talk to them, after you try to reason with them and they don't accept it, then it's on them. It's not your responsibility. The numbers have come in about the ratings on the second GOP debate the other night. Many thought they were going to go up, but you know what? The exact opposite happened. Tanked, dropped by three and a half million viewers 
over the number three and a half million fewer than in the first debate. It was hosted at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in California. That might have had something to do with it. I don't know. The Hill reported using Nice uh, Nelson data, five, excuse me, nine and a half million viewers through Fox Business. First debate drew in 13 million viewers. So that means the numbers were down the other night, 27% down. Donald Trump, very few people now are considering the, even a remote possibility of these seven that were up on the stage the other night has a shot. Donald Trump's a leading candidate, and he did another event during that debate. Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, he was one of the original eight in the first debate. He failed to qualify, so he wasn't there. Few candidates stood out. I mean, I watched a little bit of it. I said I wasn't going to, but I couldn't handle it. I went in, and I guess the uh, second hour, I watched probably 30 minutes of it. And I, I tur- and Marianne will tell you, I turned it off. I can't stand when people scream and holler over somebody. That's not how a conversation is supposed to go. You're supposed to talk to each other and give information. And while some other person that's up on the stage is doing that, talking and giving information to the listeners, just shut up and listen. And then when it's your turn, they'll shut up and listen. The moderators of Fox who handled that, it was the worst management of a political debate I've ever seen. They had the power. I didn't know this till later. I kept wondering, why didn't they set it up? So whoever was running, I mean, literally, the mechanics of this debate could turn a mic off. They had it, I found out after the fact. If somebody speaks past their moment, you give them maybe 15, 20 seconds, and if they don't shut up, turn their mic off. They could have done that. They didn't. Dana Perino tried a couple of times. I love Dana Perino. When she was in the Bush 43 White House, I had a great respect for her and how she handled the White House press secretary job she did. And she soft-spoken. I think she probably was the wrong person to put up there to run that debate, which basically in that role, that's what they're supposed to do. But it was a unmitigated disaster as far as people are concerned that I talk to. Now we've got this impeachment inquiry fully and formally underway. We're going to get into that in just a minute. Going to let you hear from one really good constitutional lawyer that weighs in on it with some facts that some of those people in that hearing yesterday I'm talking about people that are in the United States House of Representatives didn't even know about her. If they did, they didn't want to think about it. And there's a bunch more, too. We'll get into all of that right after this. At Simply Safe, your safety is the only thing that matters. We design smarter ways to detect motion for emergency dispatch in seconds. We create HD cameras so you could see what's happening in your home from anywhere. All powered by Fast Protect technology, exclusively from Simply Safe. 
for faster police response. Because in here, your safety is the only thing that matters. Advanced home security, 24-7 professional monitoring. There's no safe like Simply Safe. In the steel industry, we dedicate our careers to supporting this country, making products to build infrastructure and skylines, creating jobs, supporting families. And when domestic materials are used, the money stays in our communities. That's what really matters. These people, these places, that's worth supporting. We got you something. It's a deep, deep dish pepperoni and bacon pizza. And we gift wrapped it with over three and a half feet of bacon. You've been working so hard. We love you. Get a Little Caesars large bacon wrapped deep, deep dish pizza for just 12 bucks. Try our convenient app and pizza portal pickup. Pizza, pizza. Raid Shadow Legends. I mean, <laughs> you pick your champions. They're glorious. And their shields, oh, they glisten like uh, wet otters. But the bad guys, they're Lovecraftian. They're spooky. They're um, um, big. And then you go to battle. And it's like, and finally, your foe is vanquished. And that satisfaction is such a primal feeling. Ooh, download Raid Shadow Legends. Play for free. The verdict is in. committee held the very first public impeachment inquiry hearing yesterday, during which Democrats repeated claims that there is no evidence linking Biden to business dealings that his son Hunter was involved in. I mean, they claimed that every one of them when it was their turn to speak. Many corporate media outlets have downplayed the evidence. And by the way, there is evidence that ties Joe Biden to all of it. And they're saying that Joe Biden did not directly receive payments. Republican Rep. James Comer, he told Fox Business host Larry Kudlow yesterday the purpose of that hearing was to go over the evidence the House Oversight Committee has, which includes bank statements, emails, and text. The House Oversight Committee released information about wire transfers from a Chinese businessman to Hunter, and they used Joe Biden's home address. That first came out late Wednesday. Two of GOP's witnesses at the inquiry hearing say there isn't enough evidence against Joe Biden. That was said by CNN Capitol Hill reporter Annie Grayer, posted on Twitter, she's with CNN, even though George Washington University law professor Jonathan Turley testified, listen to what I'm going to say here, the evidence passed the threshold for establishing an impeachment inquiry to get further facts. That's what impeachment inquiry is for. Frustration in the GOP over first impeachment hearing as the GOP witnesses undercut their narrative and say 
There's no evidence of a crime. That's Melanie Zanona, another Capitol Hill reporter for CNN, and she tweeted that. Philip Bump of the Washington Post, who bailed from an August 31st interview with podcaster Noam Dorman following questions about corruption allegations surrounding the Biden family. Well, of course, old Philip weighed in. I wrote about Jim Jordan's dishonesty in today's hearing and the GOP's reluctance to correct the record, Bump posted on Twitter. No paywall. Bump's article in the Post focused on then-VP Joe Biden threatening to withhold USA to Ukraine if a prosecutor investigating Burisma, Victor Shokin, and Burisma, of course, is that energy company that had Hunter on the board, was not fired. Then, Biden boasted about forcing the Ukrainian government to fire Shokin, who's a prosecutor who was investigating Burisma during a 2016 event held by the Council on Foreign Relations. So, CNN contributor Karen Finney, she is a Democrat Party strategist, cited Hunter's drug addiction to dismiss all of the quote-unquote allegations. Quote, maybe I need some violin strings playing in the background here. She said, I continue to believe that one of the things about why this is so dangerous is at the heart of it, we're talking about, and Hunter probably did some things that are unethical that we wouldn't like, but he's a recovering drug addict. And I do think there are a lot of people who have a lot of compassion and know people. I have many on my own, some of my own family who behaved horribly while they were using. And I think it's something, you know, it does keep coming back to that. And there's no evidence to suggest that the president did anything other than try to help his son get help. You can kill the strings. (laughs) You know who Devin Archer is? He's the former business partner of Hunter Biden. He told investigators that Joe Biden, when he was vice president, spoke with his son, Hunter, more than 20 times about their business deals when Devin Archer was there. CNN and the Washington Post, they wouldn't follow up. They wouldn't answer any of the questions about the things that I just said. It's not about facts. It's never been about facts. It's about not getting Joe Biden or any other Democrat in trouble and anything and everything that's necessary to stop that from happening, they're all in. I mean, even lying, they're all in. There's one guy, one Democrat, I can't stand, and I never say that. I very seldom ever feel that way about somebody. But this guy, he is just a thorn in the flesh of the truth. Representative Dan Goldman out of New York, a Democrat, he was sharply corrected yesterday by a witness during that hearing. Listen to this is what happened. Goldman asked former Republican Assistant Attorney General for the Tax Division, Eileen O'Connor, she is really, really sharp. And she knows what the heck she's talking about. She's been doing this for the IRS for decades. 
And so Goldman asked her about whether an IRS memo regarding Hunter Biden reported to the House Oversight Committee by whistleblowers recommended his prosecution, suggesting that it didn't. O'Connor immediately responded and corrected Goldman about the memo's text, saying that the term discretion that was used did not suggest that the investigation was flawed. Quote, the whistleblowers reported that it was a discretion finding since you worked in the DOJ tax division. I'm sure you understand that there is full authorization, there is discretion, and there is declination. Now, this is Goldman talking. He's trying to make her feel stupid. And when they give a discretion determination, that is because there are serious holes and flaws and they leave it to the discretion of the U.S. attorney if they want to charge it. Is that correct? Goldman's asking this expert, Ms. O'Connor, if that's actually what it means. And of course, the way he asks, he's talking down to her, as Democrats and a lot of attorneys do when they talk in court to somebody on the other side of a case. It's kind of like human nature. And she looked at him and said, no, not at all. Discretion is not based on holes and flaws. It's based on the ability of that particular federal district to prosecute that case. And in fact, in that 99-page memo, as I've mentioned several times in my testimony, only one time did it mention discretion. All the other times, it did not mention discretion at all. So the very existence of this IRS memo, it was first disclosed to the committee by IRS criminal investigators Gary Shapley, Joseph Ziegler back in June. O'Connor, headed the tax division, by the way, of the DOJ, responsible for every tax-related piece of litigation anywhere by the U.S. government. She did that for six years during the George W. Bush administration. She was listed as a Republican-invited witness for Thursday's hearing. This just drove home to me how committed every Democrat on that committee, every one of them, they had a written talking point. Five minutes is what they were given to question or say whatever they were going to say or question a witness. They had five-minute-long scripts of what they were to say. And every one of them, although they said it, made their claims in differing little ways, every one of them was, you don't have any hard, cold evidence that any of this went directly to Joe Biden. He's not done anything wrong. And what you're trying to do is protect Donald Trump. That's where they all went. Anything to do negative with Joe Biden, they're... I guess their foundation is all y'all are going to do is go after one of us because you're trying to cover for Donald Trump, who y'all want to be president again. Very little, if any, substance at all. But there's a little fly in the ointment for Democrats on this. Because why? Payments according to the law, 
do not need to be paid directly to a public official to be considered a bribe. Did you get that? Payments do not need to be paid directly to a public official to be considered a bribe. There are cases in which payments made to family members can be treated as bribery of the principal if he is even aware of it. Former federal prosecutor and FBI consultant Joseph Marino told the Daily Caller that federal law makes it a crime, quote, for a public official to directly or indirectly receive something of value in return for being influenced in the performance of any official act. So, according to that, and that is from the law, criminal law, President Biden could be found guilty of accepting a bribe based on payments given to his family members. Now, these Democrats have constantly, as I just told you, they have objected to the GOP investigation as well as the newly launched impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden, and they're using as a basis that the president received no direct payments, no benefit from his son's business dealings, and alleged influence peddling. Legal experts said this is misguided, noting foreign payments Hunter Biden received could implicate his father if a clear link were to be established. Here's what Alan Dershowitz, a Harvard Law professor emeritus, said. It's a quote. There are cases in which payments made to family members can be treated as bribery of the principal if he or she is aware of it. When the House Oversight Committee released its third bank records memo in August on payments to Hunter that came from foreign sources, Republicans argued payments need to be need not to be made directly to the president to show corruption because the law recognizes payments to family members to corrupt influence others can contribute to a bribe. You would have thought every one of those Democrats on this House Oversight Committee yesterday in the rounds of questioning when they got the microphone, many of them, most of them are attorneys and they know this. That was the first thing they said. There's no evidence that Joe Biden got anything personally. That's not breaking the law. But it is. Jonathan Turley. I really like Turley. He is a uh, constitutional expert. And they had him there. The Republicans had him there to answer questions. And he weighed in on this. Listen closely. I don't want to jump on your time because I know you all have important things to do, but I would like to respond to the attack that you mentioned. You may do so. Thank you, sir. Uh, I'd like to explain what that, uh, that attack dealt with, if nothing else, for members of the committee than for my three children here who may be a little surprised by what they just heard. Uh, as they, I think, know, I've spent my life uh, challenging what is called morals legislation. What the Democratic member attacked me for are laws that dictate to others how they should live their lives. Some of those laws have been used against gay and lesbian uh, couples. They've been used against minorities. The individual that the member described, I condemned. 
I represented the sister wives in a case challenging that law on the basis of individual rights. The, tr the trial court ruled in our favor and struck down that law the first time that type of law had ever been struck down. The Tenth Circuit later dismissed on technical grounds. But I just want to end with one other thing, and that is it's not going to make a difference. You know, this has become a pattern of witnesses, whistleblowers, FBI agents, journalists, being attacked in Congress, it won't make any difference. It won't change the constitutional standard. It won't negate any evidence that you have. But at some point, you've got to say, enough. You know, that we have to have something, the public has to have something in Congress to look to, to have faith. And I have to tell you, it's not that I think that absurd attack meant any difference to my children or to the people that are watching. It makes a difference to our process. Witnesses should not have to... Mr. Chairman, I, just, I, I hate to interrupt Professor Turley, but could our witness get equal time then? Because we're uh, over a minute over. Has, has Chairman, I think the gentleman's time has expired. He responded to the uh, false allegations by your members. And I apologize for how you all have been treated. I apologize to the American people watching this hearing for the parliamentary stunts that the other side has pulled. I think people in America care about public corruption. The title of this hearing is an impeachment inquiry. And I think that Mr. Turley's done a good job explaining the basis for why we need to take impeachment inquiry and move forward. We have led this investigation, and now we need the impeachment inquiry status as we move forward to get the information that we have been obstructed by this administration and by this family. And that's what the purpose of this hearing is don't create another false narrative. With that, the chair recognizes Thank Mr. You, Mr. Gomez chair. from California. You heard the context there of almost every witness's answers that happened during that hearing yesterday. Democrats, they don't want to get to the heart of the discussions, of the investigation, of the inquiry details. They don't want to go down that road because they know if and when they get there, there is wrongdoing. There are too many hundreds of points in this whole process that are being revealed more every day. Let me tell you one that came out yesterday. Little brother Jim, I'm talking about Joe Biden's brother Jim. He was part, he was kind of like the go guy in the Biden family's syndicate. Hunter would be out there and open doors. Jim would go into the doors. If there was something there, he would pull everything together and make it happen. A project, a building, getting people to meet with Joe Biden, that was all Jim's responsibility. It came out from some documents that were released day before yesterday. Jim admitted, listen to this, if you haven't heard this, Jim admitted that Joe was asked to intervene on behalf of the CEO of CEFC, that Chinese energy company that wanted to buy a refinery in Louisiana, but they needed the federal government to approve it. And Joe, I don't know if he did it, that didn't come out, but he was asked, they were pushing for Joe to do that. 
It's like every day something new comes out. And that's why these Democrats are so hard-pressed. You heard there Jonathan Turley basically was putting up his hands and saying, look, you need to quit calling the witnesses that everybody comes here, especially, and he he talked back looking over his shoulder at Shapley and that other whistleblower from the IRS that they came in. Whistleblower status means they're protected. Now, can they lie? No, they can be prosecuted for lying if they're under oath, even if they're a whistleblower. But it's supposed to give them indemnity against people with differing political views and especially people with political power like members of Congress to go after them and do things or instigate things to happen to them just because of the things they testified. After those two whistleblowers went to Congress and had that very public, very long hearing, answered all those Preston, put all kinds of news and information out there. They have been brutalized, not only in the public eyes, but by Democrats and people in the Biden administration, people that they worked with, which is against the law. They are protected by federal law. But of course, in this environment in which we find ourselves living in, who enforces federal law? Well, it's the Federal Department of Justice, the U.S. Department of Justice. That would be Merrick Garland, the FBI, Christopher Wray. They have been exposed over and over and over again of not prosecuting anybody that has a D at the end of their name, which means they're a Democrat, and to go after aggressively anybody that has an R. The Department of Justice from the top to the bottom is politicized like no department ever has been in the federal government. I don't think it just started. I think it started in Joe Biden and Barack Obama's second term as president and vice president. Why do I think that? Because they were all ready to go when the 2016 election got underway and Donald Trump was going to be the Republican that was going to stand up against Hillary Clinton. And that machine, it just launched into full full speed ahead. So it had to have happened previously. It didn't just happen. Let me predict something for you, and we're going to move on. Let me predict something. In the near future, especially if we have a Republican in the White House in 2025 in January taking the oath of office, if that happens, maybe even if it doesn't happen, we are going to begin to get information, facts, and evidence that show just how corrupt the top of our administration in the White House, also across Congress, both sides of Congress, Department of Justice, how corrupt it is. Do you remember when Donald Trump first announced he was going to run? He threw out that simile that we all hooked in on because we understood it when he did. Drain the swamp. The swamp, of course, is Washington, D.C., Well, who controls the swamp? There is a single creature in the middle of the swamp that every other creature is scared to death of, won't mess with. That creature controls everything in the swamp. 
Boy, did Donald Trump find out who that creature was real quick? It's the Federal Department of Justice. And they answer, not to the rule of law, not to accountability coming from their obligations, their rights, and what they're supposed to do and not do in the Constitution. But it depends solely on who sits in the White House. Sounds to me like um, Chile, maybe uh, Nicaragua, Colombia. Hmm. Maybe Turkey. It doesn't sound like the United States of America that we thought we lived in, that environment. We're living in a virtual police state now. Yes, we are. Uncertain about what you see and hear in mainstream media? Worried about getting the truth? No worries anymore. Get the truth, only the truth, at TNN, the Truth News Network, at truthnewsnet.org. You need brake pads? We have brake pads. Like dependable brake pads, quieter brake pads, longer life brake pads, and performance brake pads. At AutoZone, we have all the brake pads you need so you can get the job done right. Get in the zone, AutoZone. So you guys grew up together? Yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? I'm not looking at it. We're not good enough for you. You look for something else? No, I, just, I don't know. What are you, big supermodels? Oh, yeah. Who's us? Supermodels? What are you model? Gloves? What are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Brad, eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies. So, losers. Stacy, relax. I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. Amazing. He's talking about motorcycle insurance, and people love it. And of course, they love the savings they're going to get with Geico, but it goes beyond that. You deserve to save. <laughs> Heard that before. You deserve to save. I know. I need you to hear me. You deserve to save. I deserve to save. I mean, he has a way of making you feel seen. Bundle car and motorcycle insurance and save at geico.com. As politics grow ever more chaotic, remember this truth. When you're taking heavy flack, it usually means you're over the target. Open the Bombay doors. Truthnewsnet.org. Your pilot on this mission, Dan Newman. Yep, it is a mission, too. Getting harder and harder to get facts. But I tell you what, it's getting even harder once we get facts to have anybody out there that is willing to take the facts and do something with them to right the ship. You know what I'm talking about. People don't care anymore. People in government, when they get exposed, it's like there's no accountability for anything they do or don't do. Very little at all, even from the White House all the way down. That's a scary environment to live in, but we're smack dab in the middle of it. Well, yesterday on Fox's Midday Show, I forget what they call that, um, they had a strong group on there talking about some of this insanity that's happening in the Biden administration across the board. I mean, everything. You throw in all of the uh, the southern border debacle that had just getting bigger and bigger and crazier and crazier, and then, of course, everything else is rolled into it. Listen to this back and forth really had some good meat in it. WABC News is reporting that the governor of the state of New York 
Hochul will announce she is calling in the National Guard to help with the migrant crisis. And now we know directly from her and her office that that is exactly what's going to happen. She is announcing now that she will call in the National Guard to help with what's going on in the streets of New York. And by the way, what's going on in the streets of New York is a microcosm of what you see at the southern border. Because when people reach the point of where they see the Border Patrol, we have this on video. Where would you like to go? I want to go to New York. Okay, you're free to move about the country. Now, I don't know how much vetting is being done because our Border Patrol agents are, are literally outnumbered at the border. They're processing as fast as they can. They brought in federal reinforcements, but not to keep people back, to bring more people in, because that's what the White House wants. Southern border is reaching levels that we have never seen before, and it has been for the past few days. CBP sources are saying that they've reported 11,000 encounters in just the past 24 hours. And by encounters, we mean human beings. 11,000 people often going between the checkpoints, coming in, our cameras can't get them. We don't know who they are coming in. And it marks the highest single-day total in recent memory. And this disturbing new video, it's a still footage. Should a CBP agent bloodied and beaten after a violent assault in the Rio Grande sector. Can you imagine putting that guy back in? His attacker was a known smuggler who was branded a rat by the cartels. So the cartels didn't want the guy, and look what he did to our guy. But while Border Patrol agents are dealing with the violence and the record numbers of illegal immigrants crawling across the border to get into our country, squad member Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is pinning the crisis on Florida Senator Marco Rubio. So not just Republicans, she's going to pick on one person. If we are constantly engaging in foreign policy that drives people to our southern border, in this specific instance, uh, U.S. sanctions that were originally authored by Marco Rubio began and precipitated, certainly took a large part in the driving of populations to our southern border. Mark. Joe Biden put out by lifting all of the Trump immigration policies. Ridiculous. Look, Congress is not responsible for this. It's not a lack of legislation on Capitol Hill. This is a crisis of choice. And I can prove that to you because these same laws are on the books right now that were on the books when Barack Obama was president, when Donald Trump was president, and they enforced the law and they didn't have this border crisis. The, the you know, the, the reality is, is that Obama, you, people forget Biden didn't just reverse Trump's border policies, he reversed Obama's border policies. Right. Obama was attacked by the left as being the deporter-in-chief because he, because he uh, deported a record three million uh, illegals from this country. And Biden has reduced deportations to zero. He prosecuted people for illegal entry. Biden has dropped down to record levels. So if Biden wanted to make a dent in this, he could do it tomorrow by enforcing the exact same laws that Trump and Obama uh, enforced, and that would solve 90% You know he's of the not going to do that. No, I know, but, it's, I mean, it, but he, he don't blame in, anybody else. It's a choice. He took his little finger and he flipped the switch on President Trump, and it wouldn't yeah. matter how great the ideas were. He wasn't going to live under that. But he's he walking away from the different. Obama policy. I'll tell you too. what, Kaylee, this is the kind of different that nobody should want. No, um, but I'm glad the brilliance of AOC has partnered with the brilliance of Kamala Harris to identify the root cause, which is apparently one senator's advocacy for sanctions against a socialist government. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's insane. To your point, a, a flip was switched after the Trump era, and here is what you get. They've tried to hide this crisis. You can't hide the economy from people. You can try to hide this, but they can no longer hide with 23% approving of what he's done on immigration, with networks covering this. You cannot hide 
hide what is happening with migrants in the streets of New York City and now across the country. So what we saw, Jerry, just a few days ago where people were under that same bridge where the 15,000 yes. Haitians were. And I know from my own reporting down at the border that uh, DHS called the Border Patrol, <laughs> Mayorkas's office, and said, are the videos that we're seeing with the Haitians under the bridge, is that real? So I wonder what they said this time. Oh, my goodness. I mean, this was shocking to see this yet again. And it was Venezuelans. And the answer from the White House is that we're going to offer work permits, right? That's 472,000. We're going to offer work permits. But that is only a magnet. That only gets more people, in my view, to come to the country. Is that what you really want to do? Again, it's a failure of policy, a failure of vision. Look, think about those small towns along the border like El Paso, right? Uh, they're getting 2,000 people coming in. They can't sustain that. They don't have the budget. They don't have the wherewithal. They can't put people anywhere. So they're sending them all over the country. How this administration can turn their back on this problem, ignore it, and do nothing astounds me. So, you know, Kennedy, I was considering this as I have since really the pandemic. A lot of people have left this city. So if you think it's bad now for revenue... Imagine when that tax revenue base, when we realize that at the beginning of 2024, the next tax season, when we're really going to know that in the last four years, how many big taxpayers, businesses, big and small, have left the city and you have people who are resource needy coming in. Yeah, and, and that's where the mathematical impossibility enters into the picture. Because if you don't have enough tax revenue to support people who are coming in, and we're talking about people because this is a sanctuary city, they are being clothed, they are being provided with health care and food and education. And cash. You know, talk to some of the parents whose schools have seen an influx of two, 300 kids. What do you think that does to something as simple as classroom size? So that affects everybody's learning, but at some point... You just cannot support it. And it makes me wonder, what will this administration do? Are they waiting for the entire system to collapse under its own weight? It's, it's cruel and very, very immoral, not just to people here, but people who are also suffering to get here because of the incentives right. that this president has provided for them. Have we tipped? We're getting there. We're getting real tipsy, Harris. Yeah. I'm at tipping point, but okay. Oh, that. <laughs> Both might be true. The point that I think you need to remember out of what you just heard was that Joe Biden, Barack Obama, they were deporting several million immigrants that were here illegally. This was not something that was handed down from Barack Obama's eight years as president. This is brand new. Joe Biden is the author, the creator. Well, whoever's pulling his strings from backstage maybe is the creator, but he is the one that's pushing it out, this illegal immigration thing. And it's not even immigration. It's not. It's criminality, breaking federal laws. And all these people that are saying, this is unreasonable. It's inhumane. We've got to change it. we got to stop doing this. And they're saying all of that to somehow justify the rampant law-breaking that they're all involved in. Honestly, according to the Constitution, anybody that is involved in helping, assisting, suborning, agreeing to, not letting it just 
happen, but actively pursuing it to happen, every time somebody steps across those border, those people have broken federal immigration laws. This is not on Barack Obama. It's on Joe Biden. Certainly not on Donald Trump. And you heard about the mention there of the 470,000 Venezuela work permits coming in. Well, nearly every Republican legislator in the House yesterday voted to block that very massive inflow of wage-cutting migrant workers and to stop, by the way, another $300 million giveaway to Ukraine. You probably didn't hear about this. All Democrats voted for the amendment that would give away American jobs to foreigners who get H-2B and H-2A visas and also to spend around $300 million for Ukraine's war with Russia. This is when even though it is a slim majority in the House, it's pretty darn good that the Republicans had the power to get this stopped. Kevin McCarthy, House Speaker, is trying to keep the GOP caucus together while passing agency funding bills for spending in this upcoming year. The spending stuff, the new government fiscal year end, starts this weekend. The amendment vote was part of the run-up to the vote on the budget for the Department of Homeland Security, which took place late last night. For months, the DHS bill has been delayed by Republican splits over the Ukraine war and also over disagreements with Joe Biden's open border policies. It's also been divided by McCarthy's efforts to bypass regular order debates by stuffing Congress's 12 spending bills into one huge continuing resolution. But McCarthy kept the party's populist and business factions together, and late yesterday he passed a DHS spending bill with 220 votes against the Democrats' 208 nays. His DHL bill includes some pretty significant policy changes, not just showy budget cuts that block Biden's deputies from welcoming, transporting, and housing millions of job-seeking, wage-cutting migrants for jobs that would otherwise be going to better-paid Americans. Here's verbiage from one report on it. Quote, the DHS funding bill includes $91,515 billion in total discretionary spending for the department. The money includes more than $2 billion to build a wall along the southern border, $496 million for 22,000 Border Patrol agents, and upwards of $3.5 billion for custody operations. Republicans say the bill will provide millions in savings by rejecting funds for electric vehicles and DHS headquarters consolidation, as well as rejecting Biden administration funding requests for emergency food and shelter for migrants, among other measures. However, these provisions don't become law until the House and the Democrat-run Senate agree on a common bill, and then Biden has to sign it. Biden and the Democrats in the Senate, plus some Republican senators, 
or likely to fight many of the House's beneficial provisions. Biden recently asked for another $3.3 billion to help bring more migrants into American cities, workplaces, and neighborhoods, in addition to the billions approved in late 2022 by then-Democrat majority in the House. The Democrats' ability to fight, however, is risky because there's growing public sentiment with opposition to the Democrats' policy of importing these migrant workers, renters, and consumers. Americans are waking up. Sadly, though, in many cases, I think it may be too late. I think the ship is getting so full it may already be at the tipping point. Even if the House reforms are approved by the Senate and Biden, Biden's border secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas, will likely refuse to implement them. Now, how can he do that, you ask? Because no Democrat is ever held accountable for any wrongdoing they do. The Department of Justice is run by a Democrat, Merrick Garland. They're going to do whatever Democrats want done, and they're not going to go after anybody that doesn't like something that gets passed. It's anti-Democrat party. They're not going to go after those people. For example, Border Chief Mayorkas, he blocked border construction. Remember that? Donald Trump got construction approved through Congress. When the administrations changed, Mayorkas just quit doing any of it. The House votes ahead are complicated because McCarthy's got just a very slim majority. Often must allow members to make showpiece voters against or for particular legislation. For example, the vote against the $300 million helped McCarthy pass the amendment against the visas in the DHS bill. But many Republican legislators also supported the Ukraine war, and so they helped the Democrats pass a later amendment that restored the $300 million in war spending. The Restoration Amendment passed 311 yeas to 117 nays. Also yesterday, the House passed the Pentagon's $826 billion spending bill with some useful civil civic policy changes. Legislation would, would block funding to carry out the Pentagon's abortion travel policy. It also includes limits on medical care for transgender troops, diversity programs, and efforts to combat climate change. The fight, and it is a fight, it's kind of a war of the visa workers, comes after business groups look for ways to sneak through a wage-cutting law next year. The business groups were stymied when the growing Republican opposition to labor migration prompted the GOP to pass their H.R. 2 reforms in May without a single Democrat vote. In reaction, the business groups work with Democrats and some donor-pressured Republicans to win a committee amendment that greatly expands that cheap labor H-2 and H-2B program. The uncapped H-2A program, it provides farm companies with an unlimited inflow of seasonal H-2A workers for a wide variety of farm jobs. The H-2B program provides labor for a vast range of seasoned workers at places like ski resorts, hotels, restaurants, other workplaces that would otherwise have to hire and train under 
employed Americans. The cheap labor flowing through these programs helps keep many Americans out of the workforce, reduces high-tech investment, reduces consumer spending in rural counties, and expands abuse of migrants nationwide. So why the heck do we keep on doing it? Big business are the ones that push this, and why are they pushing it? Because big business wants to find ways to get workers that they pay less. It's all about the bottom line. And most of these companies out there, when you look at a business and it's got a a local name on it, maybe it's part of a chain, you find out later that whole chain may be bought by and probably was and put in with another dozen or so companies similar that are all part of one conglomerate, which means it's a big, big corporation, and corporations are about one thing, raise revenue and decrease expenses. One way, there's only two ways to get to a higher bottom line in business. You increase revenue or you reduce expenses or a combination of both. Money. Money, money is doing this. And this just keeps growing and going and getting worse and worse and worse. There's still a bunch of conversation going on about getting getting our budget deal passed, getting an agreement on the debt limit by tomorrow night. Tomorrow night at midnight's when it all comes to pass. That's when it closes. The fiscal year is over. Technically, the government could have to shut down over the weekend. I'm not even going to get into what that would look like. We've had it happen before. It wasn't fun. It didn't take very long to get it straight, and everybody ended up okay, but there's a lot of bad things that go along with it, and we, if we don't get something worked out between now and tomorrow night and they get it done, we'll talk about that on Monday, but not before Now it's more of a what-if kind of situation, and those never work out good. Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia, she is a lightning rod of controversy. Man, a lot of people, even Republicans, just have problems with her. She's very outspoken. She's loud. She's demanding, and I think she's always had that in her life, even especially as an adult. But she took a victory lap late yesterday about something that she was able to pull off. Let her tell you. Listen to Marjorie Taylor Greene. I'm proud to let you know that my amendment using the Holman rule to fire Secretary Lloyd Austin just passed on the House floor. This is the first time in the 118th Congress that we have used the Holman rule. This is the first one introduced. And as a matter of fact, it's the first time the Holman rule has been used in years. The Holman rule is a very important tool that members of Congress can use to fire federal government officials. And Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense of the United States, definitely deserves to be fired. He failed in Afghanistan. Military recruitment is is at an all-time low. And he forced 8,000 military troops out of the military because they refused the COVID vaccine. There's a loss in confidence in Lloyd Austin's leadership and he deserves to be fired. So my amendment to, to fire him using the Holman rule, reducing his salary down to $1, and $1 is too much. 
just passed on the House floor. Share the good news, everyone. Actually, that, in my opinion, would be a good thing to do, but obviously it still faces hurdles. Got passed in the House, but it's still got to go to the Senate. And why do I think it'd be a good thing to do? This guy, Lloyd Austin, Secretary of Defense, he's feckless. He's unbelievably in the tank for anything and everything hard left. Do you know his history? He was the head of CENTCOM. That's the Central Command. That's the control place spot. It's handled in Southern Europe, from Southern Europe, but it's over all of European military occupations, the Near East and Northern Africa. So when we went through the Benghazi of Libya, that holocaust that happened down there, he was the head of CENTCOM. He could have gotten the SEALs on the ground that night in Benghazi in time to save those four Americans' lives that got slaughtered on the streets. Those SEALs were in a plane circling over Benghazi waiting to get the go button so they could land and do it, and he would not let it happen. Single-handedly, he made the call that resulted in those four getting killed. And that's not all he did. He was in the middle of what happened in Syria. Remember when Osir Abad was gassing the Syrian citizens? The world went crazy. They were mad. Everybody was mad. That's inhumane. You don't slaughter your own people, and you certainly don't gas them to death. So, of course, the United States, we felt like we had to intervene. So Barack Obama and then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, they had a plan. So they got who? Lloyd Austin in the middle of it, Mr. Military for that part of the world. And what did they do? They figured they found this little group of rebels in Syria that had on their own been attacking, kind of like picking at the Syrian military because of what was going on. They were attacking Basra Assad to try to get him to stop gassing their fellow Syrians. But they needed help. They needed assistance. They needed money. They needed equipment. They needed weapons and ammunition. So Lloyd Austin pulled the trigger. Hey, here's what we can do. We can arm these guys. Let them do the dirty work. We don't have to go over there and do it. So they did it, and everybody was clapping and applauding, and, hey, we're going to get that horrible dictator. We're going to take him down. We're going to get these Syrian rebels and give them what they need to do the ugly stuff themselves so we don't have to go in there. Well, Basra Assad is still in charge. Lloyd Austin is still in charge. Then Vice President Joe Biden is still in charge. Antony Blinken, who was part of the State Department working for Hillary back then, he's still there. Those Syrian rebels, guess who they were? ISIS. We funded and we armed the original ISIS people and gave them what they needed to get that whole operation started. That's Lloyd Austin. I, probably more than anybody else, but maybe Marjorie Taylor Greene, I would love for Lloyd Austin to get out of the military and resign because his pay was cut. For whatever reason, get him gone. If that's the best we can do in leadership in our military, look, our military is at its worst spot 
in readiness, in members. Nobody wants to join. They're down in every branch of the military. People aren't wanting to enlist. And it's because of all this social engineering. It's because of the gay and transgender policies that these hardcore politicians, not government military leaders, but politicians are putting together to try to appease the crowd that are the ones that put them in office and keep them in office. It's all about quid pro quo. If you do this, we'll do this. If you don't do that, we're not going to do that. Americans are owned all this now. All right, we got to move on. Laura Ingram last night had one of my longtime favorites, politicians, on her show. And boy, the pair had some really good things to say, really important things to say about this upcoming election. I don't spend a lot of time on the election stuff on this show, and it's because we're a long way away from the election. I don't want to dominate every day, every show, talking about election stuff, because it's all going to change. But Newt Gingrich makes a prediction that kind of shocked me last night. You'll hear it from him, his own mouth, next. You're driven all night. Everyone has one. The guy that's fun to be around, but he's dangerous to be around. You've got to keep him away from your things, like your tools, your gadgets, and your girlfriend. So before you get your juvenile mate around, get your lips around a dare iced coffee. The real Arabica and Robusta coffee kick will tell you what to do. Hire a jumping castle. Hours of fun for kids of all ages. A dare iced coffee fix will fix it. What are you doing? Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's a bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, here's Bud Light. In a chainsaw. Yo, some people think it don't make sense that I'm a horse whisperer. Fancy prance, yo. But you know what else don't make sense? Bye. I mean, it's good for you, but still somehow tastes amazing. Sideways fancy prance, you heard? Yeah. Clippity-clop, clippity-clop. Yo, I just whispered all of y'all. Too easy. Bye. Five calories, antioxidants, and tastes amazing. None of this makes sense. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks, just like when you were a kid. Remember their naturally sweet raisins? Yep, still delicious. And so are Sunmate's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and Sunmate's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sunmade snacks. you think about Newt Gingrich? Boy, he did a wonderful job when he was the Speaker of the House. He's from Georgia. He represented Georgia. But he was Speaker of the House during the uh, Bill Clinton era. And our government was racing towards 
much of what we see here today under Bill Clinton, getting bigger, social engineering, spin, 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 spin. And Newt came in, and he's the one that drafted the contract for America. In other words, here's a commitment. We're Here are the things we're going to do if you elect us. And he got the majority in that election in the midterm for Bill Clinton in his first term, I guess. Maybe his second term. But it basically was to rein in spending. And uh, we had a balanced budget. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine having a balanced budget in this federal government now? We've got to get back there, but we're a long way from it. But Newt stayed around, and he's very connected in a lot of different ways. But he's really big in understanding the ins and outs of what happens in political campaigns and elections. Last night, he was on with Laura Ingram, and they talked about this crop of Republicans Everybody vying for a spot, and you've got Donald Trump that he announced yesterday. He's not going to debate in any of the upcoming debates at all. And I think every American understands. If you look at his numbers, Republicans, they really understand. So who the heck is going to end up coming out of the end of this at the end of all of this campaigning rhetoric that we're, we're getting daily forced down our throats? Ingram? And Gingrich, they talk it out. Oh, okay, the plutocrats, they're throwing a Hail Mary. Well, I think they're seeing that Trump is still way ahead in every single poll. Big donors are now freaking out and are trying to draft Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin into the presidential race. According to Robert Costa, that well-known conservative at The Washington Post, the plan is to push, if not shove, Youngkin into it during what they're calling the Red Vest Retreat in mid-October. Would and you rule this out? Rule, rule, would I rule out? Jumping into the race. Yeah, I told, I've told you, I'm totally focused on Virginia elections. The whole state has flipped, it's working, and this is a case study for what can be done in other states. Joining me now, former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich. He's also a Fox News contributor. Um, Mr. Speaker, uh, uh, billionaire uh, Tomas Petterfi uh, told the Washington Post that the money is there if Youngkin wanted to get in. What what nonsense is this at this point? I mean, talk about doing an end run around the people, Newt. They don't, they don't want what the people want, the big donors. They just want to control everything, I guess. Look, I suspect the money is there, but the votes aren't. Uh, I'm a big fan of Glenn Youngkin. I think he's doing a great job as governor. I think in 2028, he could be a very impressive, uh, maybe even front runner for president. Uh, But not this time, not this year. He's correctly focusing on the legislative races in Virginia, where he has a real chance to make a difference. But, you know, I was talking to our mutual friend, uh, the pollster, Matt Towery, this afternoon. And Matt said to me, based on what he saw last night, this race is over. Donald Trump will be the nominee. They might as well quit having the various debates because they don't work. They're not helping anybody. Uh, And uh, I think that's where we are. I think Trump will be the nominee. And the question now for everybody is, do you want to see Joe Biden reelected or do you want to help Donald Trump? There's no middle ground here, I don't think, uh, because you're uh, either going to get Trump as president or you're going to get Biden. And Biden's reelection would be a disaster for the country. But I, I think you quoted on my podcast today someone saying Trump now, after this last debate, is the reality. 
and defeating Biden is the necessity. So given those two yep. uh, you know, thoughts uh, that con the conservatives, I, I imagine most of them see now, I mean, now what? Are, are people going to st start dropping out and endorsing well, Trump or are they just going to hang out until Super Tuesday? Well, I think I mean, I think the Republican National Committee should cancel the future debates and say, look, uh, we recognize the objective fact that Trump will be the nominee. We want to work with him. And then the next big hurdle is a totally corrupt judicial system, which is trying every way it can uh, to, to deny the American people uh, the right to have the candidate that they're choosing. I mean, Trump and some of these races, some of these polls, Trump is like 43 points ahead of the next person. 43 points. Uh, he's going to be the nominee. And I think it tells you how terrified the left is that they're doing everything they can legally because they can't do anything politically. Uh, given the economy, given everything else that's going on, I think the odds are very high that Trump will win the general election, and they're going to do everything they can to stop that. But, Newt, what about my idea that I floated last night um, on Hannity's show that if we're going to have any debate, why not a debate between Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis? I know they're doing their, the debate with uh, Newsom, but to me, that would be interesting. Maybe no moderator, just the two of them discussing, discussing maybe three or four big issues, because that, that would actually be fairly entertaining and I think would maybe learn something. Look, I, I think there, there were a number of smart people on stage last night. Uh, and I think that you're right. If they were in a setting where they could have a real conversation, uh, they would be more interesting people. But it wouldn't help them. It would not help any of them uh, get to be the nominee. Because the fact is, very few people are going to watch. If I don't know what the numbers were last night, but they're going to be worse. If, if there is a third debate, it'll have virtually no viewership. It'll have no impact except in the news media. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, I like Nikki Haley a lot. I think she's very smart and did a great job at the U.N. and a great job as governor. I think Ron DeSantis is an amazing governor uh, and has been about as effective as you could be. And in other circumstances, I suspect he'd be the front runner. But we are where we are. Uh, Trump is not really a candidate. He is the leader of a national movement. And that's a totally different psychological and emotional relationship than candidacy. So I think the question now is, can we stop the Justice Department and the various legal assaults? And remember, they're not just attacking Trump. They're trying to block Robert F. Kennedy Jr. They're trying to block the no labels people. I mean, the Biden model is if I can keep everybody off the ballot and I have no opponent, I'll probably win, <laughs> uh, which is in, which is insane. I mean, well, it no, is so no. un-American that to that, have him lecture the rest of us oh, no. on democracy, frankly, uh, makes my stomach churn. No, we're about to have um, Doug Burgum and um, Vivek Ramaswamy on the show. So if they want to be considered future uh, candidates for the presidency, maybe in a cabinet or what, what would you suggest that they do now, really quickly? Well, look, look, I've been a candidate. I know that you get in there, you, you always have hope. They're going to point out that nobody's even voted yet, and they'll think I'm being presumptuous. My advice would be endorse Trump, uh, campaign across the country, get better known. Uh, I, I thought Doug Burgum, given his practical real-life experience in business, given the great job he's done in North Dakota, he clearly should be in a cabinet. I think Ramaswamy has an amazing future. He's 38 years old, and I think, you know, he's, he's going to do well. But all these folks are good people. 
uh, is it wasn't that any of them were bad people. It is that none of them is yeah. in the same league as Donald Trump, and none of them is in a position to say with a straight face, I can take on the entire national establishment, have them beat me up for eight years, and still be cheerfully yeah. out here campaigning. Uh, right. Trump Nate, is a phenomenon. Gotta... He's unlike yeah. anything I've seen. Newt, we're going to have him on, so we'll bring it up. Thank you so much. I think Newt is the very first person I've seen or heard that actually came out and said Trump's going to be the nominee, period. In fact, he was so demonstrative about that there. He said the others ought to just quit. That's kind of shocking that anybody would say that, but you know what? I think it makes sense. I think the race is over. I think if there's any race, it's going to decide who's going to bring up the bottom half of the ticket, who's going to run for vice president. And on that note, yesterday in a conversation when he was asked, Donald Trump basically said he doesn't think he's going to have anybody that is currently in these debates running with him for the vice president's spot. So what door does that leave open? Ah, the obvious one. Christy Nome, currently the governor of South Dakota. I think she's very qualified. Very few people realize this. She served in Congress in the House of Representatives before running, going home and running for governor of South Dakota. So she kind of knows the government from both ends. Washington, D.C., and from the House back in South Dakota. We'll see. But I, too, agree. It looks like Trump, it, it, it won't be smooth sailing. Nothing Donald Trump tries to get done in politics is ever going to be smooth sailing. But I think it's going to be very, very obvious very soon that he's the guy and pretty much the only one out there that is credible enough to go back and do again and maybe even do better than he did in term number one. Do you remember when the U.S. Supreme Court came out maybe two months ago, maybe three months ago, and uh, they popped they popped universities that are using affirmative action for their qualifications for who they let into their universities. And they did it in the name of reverse discrimination, pretty much Hey, look, we don't discriminate against anybody based on skin color, ethnicity, nation of origin, yada, yada, yada. Well, but they really do discriminate. Why is that? Because they have begun over a period of time, and it became very obvious, didn't matter what kind of qualifications a candidate had, if they weren't, listen to this, If they were of Asian descent, they were pretty much moved to the back of the line. Hmm. You and I both know that's unconstitutional, but they were doing it and getting away with it. Of course, they didn't publicly go out and say that's what they were doing. Colleges and universities across the country now, they are evading What the Supreme Court ruling said, that ruling struck down the use of these racially discriminatory admissions policies in colleges. At the same time, the schools are backing away from standardized testing in order to admit academically unqualified minority applicants. So in other words, you take away this 
opportunity for us to discriminate. Now we'll just do it another way. So a hearing took place on September 28th before the Higher Education and Workforce Development Subcommittee of the House Education and Workforce Committee. Wow, that's a long committee title, isn't it? Three months after the Supreme Court's landmark ruling. On June 29th, the Supreme Court decision ended the use of race-conscious admissions, a longtime goal of conservatives, but they did not apply it to military academies. The case was actually two separate appeals, Students for Fair Admissions Incorporated versus President and Fellows of Harvard College and SFFA versus University of North Carolina. In the majority opinion, Chief Justice Roberts wrote that for too long, universities have concluded wrongly that the touchstone of an individual's identity is not challenges bested, skills built, or lessons learned, but the color of their skin. Justice Roberts said this, our constitutional history does not tolerate that choice. The Harvard and UNC admission programs cannot be reconciled with the guarantees of the Equal Protection Clause. Both programs lack sufficiently focused and measurable objectives, warning the use of race, unavoidably employ race in a negative manner, involve racial stereotyping, and lack meaningful endpoints, he wrote. Clarence Thomas, black justice, who had long pressed to end affirmative action, wrote a 58-page opinion concurring with the majority. The ruling seized the university's admission policies for what they are, rudderless race-based preferences designed to ensure particular racial mix in their entering classes. Justice Sonia Sotomar, she dissented, and she wrote in her dissent that the majority decision rolls back decades of precedent and momentous progress. Well, everybody's got an opinion about everything. And so what of these schools started doing it? They just changed their requirements, and they're finding other ways to discriminate other than skin color. And they used to require the results of incoming or wannabe students want to go to these colleges and universities. You got to give us your SAT scores or your ACT scores or both of them. So what they decided to do is just, we don't take, we don't even consider those scores anymore. It's hard for me to feel like it is realistic, and I can't believe that people that preach to us for so long, so long about discrimination, about affirmative action, we've got to give those that are down, and they're down not because they've done something wrong or they haven't done something right. They have only are down because they weren't given the same opportunities as everybody else. So we have to put our thumbs on the the scales, and give them a little extra uh, because of their skin color or because of circumstances that they grew up in. Listen, everybody grew up in circumstances. Not everybody, not half the nation, not 25% of the nation, not 10% of the nation grew up in less than wealthy, 
protected homes and environments. Most everybody out there lived a life growing up just like they're living now. Every day we go out and we we work, we live where the rubber meets the road. We're Americans. We're people. We're okay in doing that. So stop giving people that for whatever your reasons are, not because they're the right things, but just because you're in the club and you think these people shouldn't be able to get into your club, so you change the rules to keep them out. Oh, but we're not we're not discriminating based upon skin color. The same people that spent a hundred years preaching to us, you've got to give everybody, regardless of all their circumstances, you got to give them an equal shot. Now they're coming in and saying, you know what? Ah, we're just going to change the rules. They want us to forget where they were and what they did, what they demanded from us when things weren't going their way. We didn't change the rules, they did. Well, it's not looking good for getting this... um, budget thing, this debt limit thing handled before tomorrow night, a government shutdown, we are now being told looks inevitable. It increasingly looks like it's going to happen as Republicans, the opponents of a stopgap in the Senate, Republicans are dragging out the process ahead of a midnight Sunday deadline. Opponents of this Senate stopgap, which is nothing but a big spending bill, which is backed by leaders in both parties, but still the rank and file don't like it because it is more spending or delaying a vote to give the House a chance to pass its own continuing resolution to fund the government. Senate conservatives want to give Speaker McCarthy more leverage to negotiate spending cuts and some changes to immigration policy, leverage that would diminish if the Senate jams the House by moving first and passing a relatively clean stopgap or continuing resolution, CR. It's unclear if the House Republicans are going to be able to rally around their own funding measure or if McCarthy would put the Senate bill up for a vote in the House once it passes the upper chamber. That ain't going to happen. McCarthy's already said he's not going to bring before his people what the Senate has put out there. Senators say... They're being advised to expect to vote through Sunday to get the funding measure to the House. It's coming down to the last minute. And if Americans haven't learned anything in this whole debacle other than what I'm about to say, it will be good enough. They have got to start working in legislation according to the rules that they and their predecessors in their respective houses put in place and have been operating with for years. It's called regular order. That means every bill, when it goes to be considered for legislation in either house, it goes through the same prism that such bills went through 50 years ago, 75 years ago, 100 years ago, so that every part of any pending legislation is looked at, is considered, is debated, is amended in committee hearings before it ever gets to the full 
House of Representatives or the U.S. Senate to be considered. Now, the way the Nancy Pelosi operation model runs and Chuck Schumer is staffers develop and write all the bills, all the, the, the bills to be considered, and nobody even knows anything about what's in them. They don't go to committees to be broken up and looked at and maybe considering amendments in committees and then finally coming up with a committee consensus and then sending it back to go to the full floor of the House or the Senate to be considered. They don't do that. These staffers write everything, and then the leaders of the, their party, the primary party, the party that's in power in both houses, they determine when something's going to be considered to by the full House or the full Senate. And very seldom do they ever get a chance to see that legislation that's been drafted by staffers less than more than 24 hours before it's going to be voted on. They're cramming it down their throats, and this is a perfect example. I promise you what comes out Sunday night, comes out of the Senate, what comes out of the House is going to be a conglomeration that was put together at the last minute. They were cutting deals, and it's not going to have anything to do with what's best for America. But it's going to be determined solely by the pork and the business people, the contributors, the ruling class, what they want in each of these considerations. I promise you that's what it's going to come down to. My commitment to our people, that would be you. My commitment is we're going to give it to you. As soon as we get it, we're going to put it out there, even if it's just in bullet format, a synopsis of what each provision carries. But I want to make sure that every American knows so that this doesn't ever happen again. Does that mean Kevin McCarthy's going to lose his job as House Speaker? It very well could be. He knew there are in every budget for the U.S. government, there are 12 sections regarding budgeting. Each section deals with a different part of our government. And so what they've always done, they're the ones that created the process, the U.S. Congress. They go one bill at a time instead of putting it all together and then making it be vote up or down on the whole budget. Do it one bill at a time, breaking it out. They got those last summer. And they didn't start debating or even talking about it until two weeks ago. That is absolutely stupid. And we could sit here and pontificate about why, why would they do that, what's the objective, what's the purpose, yada, yada, yada. But I think you know what it, what it is. It's, it's politicization. That's all it is. Politicization. And it doesn't just happen at the federal level. Look, down in Georgia, there's something that happened, really shocked me yesterday. Georgia Republican senators in their state government, they suspended a state senator named Colton Moore. They kicked him out of the Republican Party caucus after he called for a special session to investigate Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis, doing so because of her prosecution of Donald Trump. Willis indicted the former president, 
and 18 co-defendants as part of her investigation into his efforts to challenge the 2020 election results in Georgia. Trump pleaded not guilty to all the charges, slammed the case as part of a broader political witch hunt. Lawmakers confirmed Moore's indefinite suspension in a statement released yesterday saying that he deceived Georgians in making his demand for a special session, which they consider impossible. Despite the fact that 32 of 33 Republican state senators, the governor, the lieutenant governor, speaker of the House, and the chairman of the Georgia Republican Party all agree that a special session to take action against the Fulton County DAs is impossible. Senator Moore has a right to his opinion, they stated. However, during his advocacy for his ill-conceived proposal, the senator has knowingly misled people across Georgia and our nation, causing unnecessary tension and hostility while putting his caucus colleagues and their families at risk of personal harm. Furthermore, Senator Moore was informed he's violated multiple caucus rules on multiple occasions and was given every opportunity to simply adhere to the rules going forward, not to abandon his wrong-headed policy position. Unfortunately, he has refused and was suspended by leadership from participation in the caucus until he agrees to abide by the rules which he voted for at the beginning of his term. Political pontification, it doesn't just happen in D.C. They learn up there. And some of these local and state lawmakers, they watch the process play out up in D.C. And hey, it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. We want to be a political entity that's a power junkie and power broker like they do in Congress. We want to do that back home. Here's what we're going to do. We could do the same stuff. They just go work on it and figure it out. Wow. What else do we have on our plate today? Well, let's keep looking. I'm I'm just checking for the latest stuff that has just come out. This one kind of shocked me overnight. You know that censorship agency in the government, CISA, Cybersecurity Infrastructure and Security Agency, CISA. What it was made for is flagging disinformation concerns on social media platforms to combat mis, dis, and malinformation, largely related to elections in the COVID-19 pandemic. You remember when all that was going on? They put that committee together. It was so controversial. So Georgia GOP Representative Andrew Clyde, who's a member of the House Appropriations Committee, he took aim at the 109 House Republicans yesterday who voted against an amendment of his that would cut CISA's funding by 25%. And here's why. This is how he was asked, and here's what he said. I'm deeply disappointed that 109 of my Republican colleagues voted against my amendment to cut CISA funding by 25%. The Biden administration has dangerously weaponized this agency to collude with big tech and other intermediaries to censor Americans' online speech and to interfere in our elections, brazenly violating the First Amendment for nefarious political purposes. 
The country gave us the majority to save our nation from the left's destructive policies that continue to erode our constitutional rights, not continue the status quo, and subsidize government abuse. Yet by taking down my amendment, he said, these Republicans shamelessly voted with Democrats to fully fund CISA's unconstitutional practice of muzzling the American people's speech. Despite this regrettable outcome, I remain committed to eliminating all forms of taxpayer-funded government by proxy censorship. So, CISA advanced what are called switchboards. Switchboards during the 2020 election. Now, what are these switchboards for? To enable state and local election officials to flag misinformation to remove from social media platforms. A report released by the House Judiciary Committee in late June suggested that CISA also used private entities for censorship during and after the COVID-19 pandemic. Republicans voted with 211 House Democrats to tank his amendment to the Homeland Security Appropriations Bill. Congress has until midnight tomorrow night to pass all appropriations bills, all 12 of them, are continuing a resolution to avoid a government shutdown. They're not going to get it done. I don't care what they tell you. I don't care what they predict. If they get anything done on, they've got four. I think they've got four in the House, four of the 12. I think if they get one or two more, it'll be kind of realistic that they're trying. But 12, there's no way. So what's going to happen? It's going to end up, if they get it done, there are only two options. They're going to have to finish it with one of those continuing resolutions where they throw a bunch of stuff in a box and throw it out there and they limit it. In other words, it'll be over a 45-day period to give them six more weeks to go back to the drawing board, that kind of scenario. And those are never good because they fill them with pork and because of the shortness of time and everybody knows, hey, here's an opportunity for us to pack them, put some more stuff in there for us. Forget about everybody else. We don't care about everybody else. Let's just get it for our people, right? That's the American way. No, that's not the American way. That's the Congress way. Something kind of spooky happened yesterday. The Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board released a report recommending Congress continue to allow federal intelligence agencies to access your and my private messages without a warrant if they say that you or I are communicating with targeted foreigners. Now, we all remember the FISA warrant application, the FISA court, Russia, 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 and how Christopher Wray's predecessor, James Comey, they put together a charade that they took to the FISA courts to get those warrants to spy on people that supposedly were involved with targeted foreigners. You remember all of that? They lied on the applications, basically forged, and they want to renew it now. 
through Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, FISA, intelligence agencies have access to a searchable database of messages between foreign nationals that are expected to receive, communicate, or possess foreign intelligence information and American citizens, according to the report. Although the government may use Section 702 only to target non-U.S. persons, communications of U.S. persons or information concerning them may be incidentally collected when a lawfully targeted non-U.S. person communicates with or talks about a U.S. person. The intelligence community does not disclose how many Americans it collects info and through this method, according to the report, it recommends that agencies be required to receive approval from a FISA court prior to searching the message database for communications involving Americans. Republican board members issued a separate statement to note that they voted against it, and they should have. Well, folks, there are a lot of moving parts, even over the weekend, that are ahead. This budget thing, it's become critical. They got to get something done. So hold your breath. Watch through the weekend. We'll have tomorrow our Saturday bullet points that will include the biggest stories of the week. And maybe, maybe by the time you get up tomorrow morning, we'll have a budget So be sure and check in. That'll be at TNN Live. Thank you so much for joining us every day. You guys have a great weekend. Spend it with your family. Have a good time. We'll see you Monday morning, 9 a.m., 9 to 11, Central Time, back at TNN Live. See ya.